He's worked for Bell for six years. Um, and prior to that, he was the senior vice president for the Western Hemisphere at Bristow Group. Uh, he also was the previous president of Aero Logistics uh, in Louisiana, uh, the Aero Medical Operations Manager, and also the VP of Sales and Marketing at uh, PHI. Uh, he's an aviator. Uh, he spent 20 years as a U.S. Naval aviator. Uh, he was in the Naval Safety School. Uh, and he's a pilot with uh, 7,000 hours of fixed and rotor, rotary wing uh, aviation. And with that, I would like to turn the podium over to Michael Sudo. All that experience just means I'm very old. I've been doing this for 49 years. <laughs> I can feel every day of it sometimes. Um, we're going to talk about connected aircraft. I'm not going to give you anything about Bell or Textron. we got a website for that. If you're interested in the Bell products, you can come by the booth. I'll buy you a Coke, and we'll talk about the Bell stuff. Uh, but I want to talk about what we're trying to accomplish in the, uh, in the data transfer from our helicopters. One thing I always wonder about, you know, what's the real definition of data? Uh, when I talk to the engineers, they live on data. They love data. Uh, but data by itself doesn't do much. You have to use that data to make decisions and to drive, drive uh, decisions and to drive productivity. The data alone doesn't do anything for us. But it can max data used properly can maximize flight safety. It can improve the total cost of ownership and optimize your availability. The important thing is to figure out the right data at the right time. How do we do, how do we know what the right data is? We have focus groups with our customers. We get our customers together and say, what do you need off the helicopter? Uh, and sometimes that frustrates our engineers because they want to give us all the data in the world. And the customer says, we don't really need all that data. We can't afford all that data. So we have to work with the customers to find out what's really best for them. When I went to the engineers, I said, how many data points can we get off the helicopter, off our 525, our latest helicopter? I, I thought it was either 20 or 25 on the IHOMs. And they said it was 25, and I said, well, that's, that's, that's reasonable. And they said, but we can get thousands of data points. Every circuit breaker in the helicopter is an electronic circuit breaker, and there's hundreds of circuit breakers. And they also not just, not just guard the equipment, they actually check the voltage and the amperage all the time, monitoring every piece of equipment that has a circuit breaker. So if all of a sudden something starts using more voltage than before, it sends a signal and says, hey, this, this component, something's happening here. It's using a different amount of current. So you might want to look at that. So we've got hundreds of circuit breakers. We can look at uh, flight data monitoring stuff. What's the speed of the helicopter, the location of the helicopter, the nose attitude of the helicopter, all those things. If any caution light goes off, that can be reported. We literally have thousands and thousands of data points we can report. Uh, so we got together with the customers and said, look, that's just way too much data. So we got together and said, we can give you data packets. And we can say, okay, what do you want out of the IHOM system? What do you want out of the circuit breaker systems? Let's make it affordable. Let's make this work. So we can collect the data and then connect. We can use it to detect and predict. And then we can react to the data. The data comes in three real packets. Enterprise data, which you can take off the deck. And that's used for long-term trending comparing that helicopter against all the other helicopters in the fleet, against all the other helicopters of the operator. Uh, and that data you can get off on the deck. The ad aircraft added, at, uh, data is a little less critical. It's a little smaller in size and a little easier to handle. The in-flight data is the most time sensitive. That's what's very important to the pilot. What does he need to know at any given time? What are we watching that's really critical to flight safety? And that time sensitivity goes up with the data, but it also gets more expensive. Now, our in-flight data is handled over the Iridium satellite system, and that has a price to it. So we have to be very careful of the data we're streaming so you don't overwhelm the operator. The in-flight connectivity gives you a second set of eyes at our control center to, to look and see what's really important, what we need to talk to the pilot about in-flight. And also, if it's something we can fix later on, maintenance can stage the parts and the people before the aircraft lands and reduce the downtime of unscheduled maintenance. There's a direct link on integrated maintenance. When we have an in-flight fault, when the pilot lands, the maintenance, the maintenance technician goes out to the helicopter, hits a diagnostic screen on the 525, 
it gives him a fault tree and says, okay, what happened? <clears throat> this happened, this happened, this happened. It tells him the page in the maintenance manual to go to. The maintenance manual is on an iPad. He goes to that page and says, there's the fault tree. What happened? What happened? What happened? It takes him to that point in the, in the aircraft, shows him a video of what he needs to look at in the aircraft, shows him a rotating thing that he can change around, see exactly what cannon plug it is. It tells you to measure the voltage here, and then he can push a button and order the parts. So it's very, very well set up for the maintenance. We can also do long-term trending, um, and again, we can compare the data against the other aircraft in their fleet and the other aircraft around the world, and we can optimize their operations. What are the things we lose sleep about? Regulatory, as uh, he mentioned, you know, we'd like to be able to extend components to on condition, but right now the regulators don't allow that. And we hope with MSG3 and MSG4 we can use this tremendous data we're getting to say, Here's the, the life of these components. We've demonstrated it's got a longer life than you think it may be, and we like on condition. And that would be very good for the economics of the operator. The other problem is if the person that's manning the console back at the IHUM system sees something that he's concerned about with the pilot, we're concerned about micromanaging of the pilot. The pilot has a roadcraft flight manual. He's got to be the final authority. We can, give it, we can give him advice, but we can't take over ownership or operation of the aircraft in flight. That's got to be a piloting decision in flight that he determines what he needs to do or she needs to do. And then the last thing is cybersecurity. And I think that's the thing I lose sleep at, at the most. My son has a cybersecurity company, and he works for the FBI and the NSA and banks and hospitals and all this stuff. And he does penetration testing. His job is to as a white hat hacker to go in and see if he can hack the systems in these companies, and he's very successful. I told him he'd never be able to hack my house because I'm a computer professional, and he'd never be able to do that. I had firewalls on everything. So he turned off all my cameras in my house by going in through my wireless thermostat that had an unguarded port, and I thought I was pretty well protected. I went to a white hat hackers conference in Las Vegas and they con took control of a Ford car in the parking lot. We're driving it around the parking lot from their computer. Uh, so that kind of stuff really scares me. Uh, we really have to be careful with cybersecurity in these systems. Are we really protected? I mean, there's been a demonstrated case of a person taking or hacking into the flight control or into the controls of the United Airlines in flight through the entertainment center. So, I mean, there's, there's problems out there that we really have to make sure that we got these things locked up tighter than a drum, because I'd hate to see somebody take control of one of our helicopters in flight or any helicopter in flight. So that, that's a big issue we need to really address. And uh, you only have to read the newspapers to see that that kind of stuff's happening everywhere, every day. Um, that's what I lose sleep over. That's all I've got. If you've got questions later on, be glad to answer them, uh, or you can come by the bell booth, and I'll be glad to talk with you at length. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much uh, for that introduction. To give you an example of where we are today, uh, the experience I have with data is we've just spent two years setting up flight data monitoring for search and rescue. And that was a massive challenge, uh, but we've, we've learned a lot and we now have flight data monitoring for search and rescue. Uh, we've also got a fatigue risk management system, uh, and that involved having the clocks or the watches, uh, the medical watches worn on our pilots. They were tagged, if you like, and the amount of data that rolled off these pilots from those that didn't sleep at all when they were at work uh, to those that came to work to sleep. Uh, and, and handling that to, to build the best supervision, risk mitigation, uh, was, was a real challenge. Uh, in addition, we've had two chief pilots that have just had uh, a heart bypass and one had the uh, aorta opened in his heart. Luckily, they were off duty. Uh, we had one rescueman that had uh, an aching jaw when he was running and that also turned out to be a blocking artery in his heart. Uh, in addition, uh, the most serious event we had was a pilot on a HEMS mission. Uh, he landed uh, at night in, a, uh, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, they were picking up a patient to go in the back of the helicopter. As, as he stepped back in the Augusta Western 139, he started to feel dizzy and he had the crystals in his ear. Luckily, they were on the ground just before startup. 
All of those indications, when I look at the human body, could have been detected by the, the iWatch, if you like. Uh, watches and devices worn by all of us, uh, telephones, iPads, EFBs, all of these things. And that's what I think about as an operator. The OEMs can deliver fantastic things, but they're often expensive. Facebook knew last night that I was in the Sky Lounge uh, on the top of my hotel. So if I know, or we know that our pilots are en route, we can give them automatic fuel checks, and we can move from flight data monitoring to, as, I, as I've said here, data-driven operations. And that might lead to compliance. I'm often said on our HEMS pilots, why don't they do a fuel check every hour? They're doing it all the time. Bingo time, bingo time. In comes an auditor. If we could have the EFB detecting how long they've been airborne for, automatically doing fuel checks for them, for the compliance as well, that would take workload off a pilot, that allow them to look out the window. So I think we, we have to look into the helicopter systems, but we also have to look out as well. So that's the example there where I've looked at big data and all the sensors that come in. Uh, Google can nowadays, they can detect if a disease or an outbreak of something is starting to occur in, in a land, and they detect that by the search. If people start to search for foot and mouth disease symptoms, and it starts to peak in, a, in London, a helitech, then maybe there's about to be an outbreak of something. And you can move medicines, you can do things. So, but there is a big difference between operational supervision and surveillance. Uh, and if we get it wrong, instead of like a flight data monitoring program being something to supervise, the pilots, the unions, the crew members will just block that initiative. So we have to make sure it comes in in the right direction and in the right way. Uh, when, I, when I googled big data, <laughs> these are the, the, the four Vs, there's many uh, out there. Uh, and one of the things I thought was, was quite uh, interesting uh, was the uncertainty of data, the bottom right. It's, we get a lot of that from uh, our flight data monitoring program, where the first thing when we question an incident or we get an alert and we speak to the chief pilot, the first thing is like when you get called speeding. Uh, when was the gun calibrated? Uh, the radar reading, I think it was way off. And we do get a lot of errors in data, especially with the analog ring system. So we have to make sure, as the OEMs have said also, the, the quality of data, it has to be right. But this is what I was uh, trying to think about when we can look at the future, and I tried to think about myself. Uh, the other day I was on a SAR mission, uh, we took off from the airport uh, out to a boat, and, and the first thing I got was from air traffic control was just to advise you it's severe turbulence, severe icing. Uh, icing. My heart rate went up. Yeah, there's certain operational risks and, and tendencies we can see on a HEMS mission, uh, for example, or a SAR mission. What's the heart rate of our pilots? Is the heart rate increasing just before when the, the gear comes down? Is their heart rate increasing when they're doing hoisting? How can we help with that to actually also bring the physiological effects down and get the heart breathe? Night vision goggles, if I'm doing a night vision goggle training thing, the first thing I'm supervising when I look across is how much head movement have I got on this pilot? Because I know if he doesn't scan with the night vision goggles, he won't have a relative speed of his, his closing speed as he comes into a mountain or a landing site. So all of a sudden now, if I could, as an as operational manager, just have a sensor to see during night vision goggles, when his night vision goggles come down, how much is his head moving? Then we could train in the sim and say, guys, you can fly like gods, but please move your head and look out the window. And you know, these types of things, I think, are some of the things which maybe technology we can, we can have sooner rather than later. Small things like that. The other thing is a trimming system. When I see pilots working hard, workload increases, hoisting, whatever, they, they trim a lot. Yeah? Just the sensor on a flight data monitoring, instead of a rad out or a nose down or angular bank, if I knew the frequency of a trim release button on a cyclic, I could probably link that to the workload and risk for certain crew members. Uh, and, and it's amazing just supervising hoisting uh, missions. So that's some of the things I was trying to, to look at was safety, uh, compliance, like I said, to actually take workload off of people using data uh, and sending data back, and, and of course efficiency, as, already, as has already been mentioned. And some of the things, you know, instead of a crew coming back to say, geez, that heli deck was way off, and you don't get it until you get a report the next day. If we had that operational supervision, we may be able to dispatch a helicopter differently. One search and rescue, we had two search and rescue helicopters out the other day, and, if, and, and operational supervision was done by a SATCOM and flight following. If we could somehow get the connection better, we would have done a much more efficient search of the area to give the search pattern that I had flown over the ocean 
data link to the second search and rescue helicopter on the Euronav, for example, if they could have seen the breadcrumb drop where I had already searched, they could have gone straight in and searched somewhere else. Instead, I'm transmitting over the radio uh, frequencies, uh, you know, GPS positions or whatever. I'm communicating, which is taking my eyes off and my distraction off. So aircraft to aircraft might also be a connectivity uh, thing in the future. Uh, this is a picture taken of uh, some of the 139 pilots. Uh, you can see their heads in at the moment. But when OEMs, they give us procedures to fly, you're going to do a Cat A heliport uh, takeoff or helideck takeoff, clear area. Is We get the manual and it says takeoff, pull plus 23%, 5 degrees or 10 degrees nose down for one second, 0 degrees VTOS, 5 degrees up. Okay, I'm going to be like a god in the sim. But when I fly that aircraft for real, how accurately am I flying? that helicopter and that will be very interesting to know not just for me as, as a supervisor but also for the OEM how can we maybe change that procedure from a test pilot godlike procedure which gives you best performance to a reality of taking workload off a pilot uh, and that will be it. so this is the cycle I've tried to give in to go from OEM designing to ops OEM review yeah and then back to enhanced operations reducing workload increasing capacity for pilots uh, this was a SAR mission where uh, we were hoisting, this was taken a couple of weeks ago, where some people had fallen down a cliff uh, and now we were struggling to hoist them because our downwash was actually going to force them into an even worse situation. So we did a non-standard hoist, the rescuemen hate it, where you have to hoist them out as long as you can on the hoist over land. Oh, they hate that. Now we have to go in and up so that in real terms, if our downwash, even at maximum length, starts to blow this person even further down this ice-ridden cliff, our rescueman on the end of the hoist is ready to catch him. So, I've not written an SOP for that, but we did it and we conducted safely. However, the pilots will start talking about what they did. That can lead to mission creep. So sometimes as well, by having data supervision, we can also identify where, where the risks might be, uh, whether it's uh, weather, adult settings, that sort of thing, and preventing mission creep and improving CRM. Uh, the OEMs have mentioned lots of things. Uh, we're looking at MEL release, uh, working with an MEL release before the aircraft is coming back because we know it's snagged. The engineers can see it, so they can sign up the tech log, have the, everything ready to go before you've come down. So reducing time on the ground as well. And there's some processes. In principle, however, we're looking at improving operational efficiency. Of course, we want to grow customer sales, data-driven operations. Is it the future? It's definitely the future for my son's generation. He, is, he craves data. He wakes up in the morning and he's on a Saturday on the iPad already. And that is going to change the way we train our future crews. Now already you see it. It's nothing to be fearing now, but I know if I take an older generation pilot and try and train him on the FMS of the 139, it's completely different training to if I take a young pilot. And that is how we have to look at the evolution of data and training. And hopefully we can find new markets. Uh, that will be good. There are just a few throwaway things before my last slide. I just tried to just throw some things out there. Some, yeah, everything from human performance, track and balance, track and balance and hums in flight, uh, not just for the pilots, but for, of course for the rest of the crew. So, like you said, so we can keep the passenger comfort optimum. Uh, there's nothing like doing two hours of track and balance, and then the next week you get in the aircraft, and it's completely different. Uh, the final thoughts, really, for me was. We're now going to a generation of immersed in technology. I've got the Apple Watch, people have got Samsung's Garmin's, I've got my iPhone which knew I was in the sky bar yesterday. And I think the best example of flight data monitoring was we've recently signed up to um, the iCloud. Yeah. So now every picture I take on my phone goes up to this cloud. The cloud then sends all the pictures down to my wife, my iPad and everything else. So I'm taking no pictures at Helitech, just, just in case. And that, that type of uh, supervision is also the way we have to approach how our crews will react. If they know we're doing or supervising something, does it prevent sensible decision making? Um, and data, we've had the police after us for flight data monitoring data. Um, adaptive learning, single pilot operations. We've got single pilot HEMS operations, day and night in Norway, with a very competent rescue member, but we're not allowed to hoist. We need an extra crew member. If we had Siri with us, 
and we said this is now single pilot operations with Siri, and this is you know the AI, the uh, the, the future. I, I asked my iPhone, how do I be a helicopter pilot? And this is the type of stuff that comes in the future. I saw a, a pilot that's just joined Bristow's. He came straight from America, very, very low flying hours. But in his bedroom, he had set up the, one of the world's best flight simulators. He was flying ILSs into Stavanger. He was flying around Tromsø. He had about a thousand hours bedroom simulator time. I never had that. Yeah, but this is the future generation, and we have to take that into consideration. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So I'll be your last uh, presentation. Um, there is a good news and a bad news. The good news uh, is that uh, I think uh, with all the previous uh, speakers, we all think uh, into the same way and we're all looking uh, at uh, the same vision. Now the question that uh, we are a competitor, we are uh, collaborate in collaboration and uh, I can't help uh, ask myself which one is going to go first all the way to the value creation of uh, big data. Big data is the buzzword. We talk uh, a lot about uh, data analytics. You will see that in the data collection, uh, Airbus helicopter went uh, the same way. I will uh, go a little bit further on the service offering and maybe open up uh, the debate of uh, what it means uh, on how we're going to do business within this new digital world. So, uh, how do we turn digital insight into business value? One, uh, I will uh, show you how uh, we went uh, from data collection to uh, information and value creation. How we uh, enhance uh, these values through the analytics and how powerful uh, uh, an analytics can be and what do we need. We talked a lot about uh, technology. We haven't talked uh, yet about competencies and new job profiles. Four, um, how did that transfer, transform our service offering? And five, when we talk about big data and analytics, is it a bare necessity or is it a new business model? So when we're looking at data and how we transform that into information, some people think that once the customer has given you the opportunity to import the data, Half of the job is probably done, and uh, you will see uh, the analysis and the added value very shortly after. Well, let me tell you that uh, the data collection and the way you're going to ingest this data is probably the most challenging part uh, into this uh, story. Data are coming from uh, plenty of sources, and as you imagine, uh, they come uh, in a different uh, format, shape, volume, etc. You've got data that are coming uh, from the aircraft, you've got data that come, are coming uh, from the information um, system uh, from the customer, and then you've got uh, all the e-application where, uh, as uh, was mentioned previously, we are able to track you wherever you look, wherever act uh, you have uh, onto the internet. Then we meet uh, the challenges uh, of uh, those famous extractors. Uh, we haven't talked about uh, the challenge of the standards. Um, how do you extract uh, this data? With what standards? And uh, how um, you integrate uh, this data on a very quick mode without developing every time you want to connect to a new customer. The second challenge is definitely the cleaning. Uh, cleaning of uh, the data, uh, we had a different philosophy. Do you clean before ingestion? Do you clean after ingestion? Well, the answer is before, definitely. And, uh, and uh, you will see that actually it's different people sometimes that uh, collect and uh, clean. Then once you have all this data, the main thing is to put it into one single depository and uh, where you're going uh, to be able to process, categorize and package uh, this uh, data that will finally become information. 
So of course, uh, all those data, there is uh, the, the three Vs that uh, we saw previously as well. Uh, but you're going you're gonna to mix this information with the knowledge that you have into uh, your company with uh, the expertise and you're going to start to make decisions. And then from there, you're going to decide and monitor uh, what added value will that bring? Do you have to do more or do you have to change? And you will keep a tracking uh, system of the decisions that you've taken to make sure that the next time you don't reduce the same thing. This is for me what I call value creation that you learn step by step uh, with it, uh, within the business. Um, second one, uh, so every company is presenting uh, also this uh, value proposition. Um, in Le Bourget, uh, Airbus uh, Group uh, announced uh, the initiative of Skywise. So Skywise is uh, our big data lake and uh, our initiative in uh, analytics. Uh, so we call Skywise the beating heart of aviation because there is data not only of Airbus commercial, but we're starting as well to put the data of Airbus helicopters. So you can see where we're going. We're going to a transversal big data lake for the group of Airbus. So um, we didn't uh, represent uh, uh, what you can do with uh, those analytics and what are the big uh, leverages. It's not uh, like uh, uh, boxes, but mostly uh, like a mind mapping. Why? Because everything is connected. And uh, it's because you can connect everything that you, you can create value. So within Skywise, of course, the first thing is to digitalize your operation. Once you digitalize, you can import data and start to process on it. The second one is also an interaction with the customer, is how we share. How we share technical data and then how do we start to show this data in a way where we can analyze. And uh, what the customer wants to know is, on a benchmark uh, basis, is it better or less performant than the rest of the fleet that uh, you can compare them with? You can connect, so we talked a lot about uh, how we connect uh, aircraft, but also there is the three big elements, which is the optimization of uh, your operation, uh, with uh, the uh, reliability, the inventory uh, optimization, and also um, the way we predict. So predictive is uh, what makes you uh, anticipate things and what makes you more efficient. And lastly, it's about fleet management and how you optimize uh, the pool of your fleet and how you are able uh, to also uh, detect uh, risk and manage uh, uh, the assets. So, to develop a powerful analytics, uh, you need expertise. And uh, the different uh, profiles uh, have evolved. We see new jobs arriving uh, onto the market. And uh, uh, I think we experience everything. We tried uh, to take one person thinking he can do all the roles. And then afterwards, we say, no, we need uh, to split it and specialize uh, the people. Then suddenly, you demultiply the number of people that you've got uh, on the team. But it's quite efficient. So first of all, you can do nothing without a business expert. It sounds very simple, but uh, I think there was at one stage a, a bit of a fashionable trend that uh, if you got a data analyst, a data scientist, okay, that cost quite a bit uh, on the market at the moment uh, because uh, the demand is uh, way bigger than the offer, uh, we thought uh, that uh, the value creation could come. Not at all. You need the business expert. Then you need somebody that knows how to collect the data, that knows all the tables. Then you need somebody that prepared to ingest those data. Then the one who will need to um, give you the visibility of the data so it means something to you. And finally, how you can correlate those data to go into the mind map mapping that you saw into Skywise. 
All of those different profiles are necessary and are a key factor, success factor, to make sure that the, your analytics stay powerful. So now, what impact uh, does that have in terms of offering and service offering? Well, I think it's a debate uh, that uh, we can have. Uh, we, as uh, Airbus uh, Helicopter, uh, contribute to improve uh, customer operation. But on the other hand, with all the data from our customers that uh, we can capture and the one that is giving to us, um, it can help Airbus Helicopter to better serve uh, our product and improve, uh, improve uh, our designs. So give and take, it's a relationship where everybody's got a, a value uh, to gain. And then this is uh, where you can ask yourself, is it a value that is due? Is it a value that uh, needs to be paid? Is it uh, because uh, we have uh, as much uh, benefits from one side to the other, then uh, that uh, gives us uh, something uh, free for both, as long as the collaboration uh, is uh, balanced? I think it's an interesting question uh, that uh, we can ask ourselves. So how is this service offering uh, is transformed? Well, you've got uh, three levels of uh, customer values around uh, additional safety, uh, improvement uh, of the fleet availability and the performance, and of course, uh, the reduction of the life cycle cost. And uh, when you take those uh, three uh, leverage of customer values, of course, uh, you have to go through uh, a maturity uh, step where the first one is about uh, the basic. You have to digitalize your operation to make sure that uh, you can make uh, all this analysis. The second step is about optimizing uh, your operation, and it's about advice and diagnosis that you can do with this customer. And the third one is uh, what we call the infinite, where you take actually a commitment of performance with your customer. And through all those steps, you've got tools that we develop to enable uh, this uh, maturity uh, stage. So, big data and analytics, be necessity or new business model? I think uh, it's uh, probably a bit of both, okay? Uh, if you don't take uh, the digital transformation, you might be left behind. Number of companies who didn't decide, who didn't uh, go for the digital transformation uh, lost uh, businesses, and uh, um, that's a risk uh, that uh, nobody wants to take. Data analytic is definitely the new engine to boost uh, our service offering. Our service offering uh, differ within the format, uh, but uh, on the background, I think uh, the offering on support on our aircraft haven't moved uh, for the last uh, five to ten years. And also, new business models are to be developed to survive and to create growth. And this is a way uh, with the innovation incubator, uh, we can create new things with our customer and attach a business model to it. Thank you very much. With that, I'd like to open up the floor uh, to some, for some questions to the panel. Thierry Dubois, Vertical Magazine, a question for you, Stephanie. Could you please define cleaning data? So cleaning data um, has got a different uh, dimension. Uh, the first one, or basically the, uh, the first thing that uh, your eyes can see, uh, Dublin's. Uh, data with uh, uh, different designation in the different uh, tables. Uh, it's all those uh, little things that you can see with the eyes. The second one is the inconsistency of data. It's uh, one data, one raw data that goes through two or three different processes and becomes co corrupted or inconsistent. Those ones are, are much more difficult to detect but we've got and we developed an algorithm to be able to do that, to at least uh, um, have an acceptable level of data quality. 
We developed uh, a lot also onto uh, the dashboard uh, for data quality and we are now able uh, to give an evaluation that becomes more and more precise of uh, the data quality that we ingest and uh, if this data quality is not that good but we still need to ingest it to do a, at least a, a minimum um, we do that, uh, I was going to say, in conscience and uh, we know the risk and uh, the sensibility of the models that uh, we deliver. Thank you, Connor McKenna from Vocavio. I'm interested in your view, I suppose, from the OEM perspective. Do you see, given the advancements in younger companies developing data analytics, typically coming out of, driven, I suppose, by the, the Silicon Valley initiatives around driverless cars and whatnot, do you see OEMs engaging with uh, younger, perhaps, for want of a better phrase, more agile companies? Good point about agility. I think, uh, I mean, just to take them, and there are other OEMs around the table. Um, certainly, why not? We, we are seeing that this uh, our sector, and not only about data, is being uh, increasingly influenced by uh, people which do not necessarily come from these sectors and some innovation uh, comes from parallel uh, markets. So on the specificity of data, which I, I must confess I'm not an expert, I have experts here, uh, but uh, I believe uh, the, uh, especially on the approach, uh, I think this could be a possibility, definitely, very much so. And, uh, I, I like your comment about agility. Sometimes we, we drink too much of our soup when it comes to innovation. So we, we need probably to have a fresh approach to how we want to be influenced by, with our judgment of course, but uh, external sources. This might take away this. I, I think the key is in uh, speed of execution. And uh, definitely uh, when we're talking uh, about a big company uh, like uh, Airbus, uh, you need to be able to have an outside ecosystem that uh, could uh, come and work in partnership uh, with you to activate and uh, to uh, increase the speed of uh, execution. And definitely I don't think how we would do uh, without uh, all uh, the network of uh, startup, uh, university, uh, but uh, also um, we, I think, uh, like uh, you were saying, Roberto, we, we're looking also in other industry because actually the concepts are the same, and when you, you reintroduce them and adapt them into our company, it's much more powerful. Yeah, I think it's, it's uh, difficult because a lot of the big companies tend to get stuck in the past. Uh, we've always done it that way. Somebody suggests a pilotless helicopter, we go, well, we've never done that, we can't do that. Uh, we have to be innovative and open to new ideas, especially the younger people that, that aren't stuck in the old ways. And we have to be always on the lookout for these technologies that are going to improve our efficiency. And uh, things like electric helicopters that a lot of the manufacturers are looking at, uh, alternate fuels, everything. We can't be stuck in the past. We've got to be open to these new ideas all the time. And just to comment on that one, I wouldn't so much be concerned about agility, but it's more that we are probably a lot further from our core competencies when we enter into the digital world. And here I would tend to agree that the key is to partner. Uh, just to give an example of what we do, instead of you know giving a requirement to a supplier or whatever, the idea can be to bring... A, 15 startups looking at our data and making proposals without us setting up a clear requirement as how they would approach our set of data, etc. So we have to work around the fact that we start far from where we want to land in terms of competencies. Just to add from an operator, when I think of agility, I think of Tesla. And Tesla cars are really popular in Norway because of the tax relief, so quite a few of my friends drive them. And they say, Andrew, they say, come and look at my car. You can see where it is, you can see the status of the car, you can see how much electricity it's got in the battery, how many charges it's had. And then I think, I'm responsible for millions of euros and dollars worth of helicopters. And if I want to go and check the fuel level on the helicopter, I have to run outside, turn the battery on, check it, wait for everything to run up, turn it off again. 
And, and so, you know, it's often those types of things, I think, where everybody, we should look outside and, and, and Tesla, I think, is a perfect example. Thank you. I'm Ray Lewis from AEM Corp. My, my concern always is the certification process. You folks have some fabulous ideas in moving forward with new technology, but the regulators are always very, very slow. Do you have a collaborative effort with the regulators to move this forward as well? Yeah, for the 525, for example, it's been in uh, design for probably three or four years now. We have weekly meetings with all the regulators going over everything we're doing on the test and the certification flights. And there's some pretty rocky roads. Sometimes the regulators aren't open to the new technology. They don't have the experts in things like fly-by-wire and things that the companies do. So it's, it's a collaborative effort. But it's one we do every week with the regulators. Um, and what I would add is you can have uh, good surprises. Uh, let me give you an example. For example, we believe uh, that it's uh, worth uh, digitalizing engine logbooks. You know, the engine logbook is uh, 1,000 pages describing all that happened uh, with the engine and its current configuration. Where clearly, if and when we are able to digitalize, uh, we gain three things. Uh, safety, because you can, at any point in time, counter-check uh, that uh, the configuration is serviceable, you gain quality uh, improvement, and also you gain uh, ease of use uh, for people, because for example, your maintenance people get a maintenance manual that is limited only to the configuration of the engine they are looking at. So that's something we launched uh, two years ago, and we have the full support uh, of uh, the authorities, EASA, FAA, validated, the fact that we could move out of paper engine logbook into digital engine logbook. Today we have some clients operating with fully digitalized engine logbooks. Um, discussing our regulators, I think it's interesting to note. Of course, regulators are all about safety, not the viability or the profitability of our products. Their only interest is safety in that. They look at a text of laws which we also have access to and uh, clearly we, we have the same goal. I mean we do not consider safety as vital because of the regulators but because we know it's an absolute value that we want to transfer to the market. It is actually interesting to see how uh, now with the, especially starting from the fixed wing, the uh, certification rules are moving from metros cryptic status to something which is more about an approach to, to how you reach safety, so possibly widening the, um, the scope for different solutions on how you're going to, to achieve safety. It's interesting to see how the, I think, part, uh, part 23 is being retexted and uh, read as of the 144 uh, light airplanes is going to be it's going to be reshaped and uh, we are going to see how this is going to also affect eventually and possibly the part 27. So yeah we work every day with regulators and uh, we know they have a task to do which is ultimately our task and it's a, it's a debate so, but uh, we are looking forward also to an improvement on that and I also, I would have all other things to say about the, the relationship with the regulator, but it would be a bit off topics now, so I'll keep it to, an, to another time. I think, again, as an operator, one of the best regulator-supported uh, interventions, if you like, has been the EFB, the Electronic Flight Bag. That has opened up, I don't want to say a back door to, uh, to innovation, but for example, the certification of, of in-flight wireless uh, checking of the weather. Uh, so, you know, instead of the FMSs are giving us great performance and stuff, helping us with decision making, but to actually to be able to check the weather on a HEMS mission or something like that, uh, go in and see the webcams on a road uh, where we're going to go and land because there's been a car crash. Uh, you know, that, to go through an OEM, the, all the certification process would, I can imagine, be unrealistic in cost and take a long time. Whereas a, a very smart 20-year-old has developed an app and, and we're, we're looking at the webcam and we're, we're assessing how we're going to land in flight. 
above 500 feet, of course, that, but that has really opened up massive innovation for, for operators. And, and I think hopefully that can be used, utilized by OEMs. And you talked about new business opportunities. Uh, you know, I think partnerships with companies like Apple and Google and stuff like that, I mean, that, that's one way forward of many. Warren Wallace from Just Trend Partners. I've got a question. Uh, there's a situation where an operator may have multiple asset types, uh, from Leonardo, from Airbus, from Bell, from any other uh, manufacturer itself. The, the, the debate, the ETL discussion that you just had is, is the uh, classic issue of uh, trying to have standard data coming through the process. Is the industry talking about any standardization of data collection and, uh, and, and making sure that all the data amongst the manufacturers are, is a consistent process? So, uh, yes, we, we, Sorry, maybe I shouldn't ask no, that no, question. No, no, it was a good one. It was a, it's an excellent uh, one. I think um, uh, as uh, the departure into um, uh, big data, everybody got uh, their own standard that would suit their own uh, information system. Uh, but uh, as we w went by and has many uh, customers that you need to connect and uh, has uh, many interfaces that you need to do with uh, the local system, then the Atospec 2000 uh, is the standard of the market uh, so that seems to, to be uh, um, the majority uh, at the moment. This standard is very heavy and uh, yes, uh, there is definitely will take uh, some collaboration uh, um, in our market to make sure we make it lighter and so that it can be applicable in a more efficient uh, way. Um, on the military side, it's even more, um, uh, the requirements are, are even uh, higher. So this one uh, are always uh, a bit of the exception. But uh, if we could start uh, by uh, the commercial side, I think uh, that, uh, that would help. But uh, I, I think we need to, to be a bit more aggressive. Thanks. A uh, general question for all of you, if possible, a short answer from each of you. You all think that one day or another, that sooner or later, every helicopter will transmit data in flight, health, flight data, flight data monitoring, you name it. So will it happen one day, every helicopter transmitting data in real time in flight? I think, <laughs> I think we're very close. I think we're very close, but um, uh, it's not a technology for technology. Uh, you need to have a technology because it answers a pain point uh, or requirements. Um, the average uh, um, lead time of a flight for an helicopter is 40 minutes. Uh, do you really have to have real time or can you wait 40 minutes uh, to have as a result uh, of uh, your data check? Um, I think it's a question. In, in some instances, I suppose you can. In some other, uh, no, you really need it uh, right away. Um, but definitely the technology is uh, going uh, into uh, faster and more real time. Um, so uh, if uh, the need uh, gives the pressure, I think uh, we will get there very, very soon. I think, uh, I think no. Because, I mean, you're talking to three large manufacturers up here. There's a lot of manufacturers. Do I think R22s will stream data in the future? Probably not. Do I think R44s will stream data? Do I think Instrum will stream data? Probably not. I think most, most of the major OEMs will, but I think there's a lot of helicopters out there in the world, old and young, that will never stream data. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think it depends more on the mission. Uh, maybe if you're carrying loads to an alpine refuge, maybe you don't need to do that. But if you are transporting somebody who wants to be updated with information and be able to speak on the phone. So it's about data for the helicopter management, but also data for the mission. On a corporate helicopter, the mission is to carry somebody on board who needs to be connected. So uh, this is natural. For police operation, real-time streaming, real-time data, real data exchange is going to be vital in the increasingly challenging scenarios that we see in our cities. So I think this is going to be hugely important as well as, a, as a for EMS, where telemedicine could, uh, could really be uh, something which, which boosted the mission capability of the helicopter. So it's not data for the sake of data, it's data for improving the mission capability. And depending, of course, on the money that will cost. I mean, I always remember the, the bottom line not always be positive. This is my takeaway on that. 
I would definitely agree with the EMS and search and rescue and the, the mission I, I used the example of the other day was a nine hour search uh, up on Svalbard and it was quite funny because one thing was to transfer data back to the Joint Rescue Command Center uh, and most of that was done over SATCOM and then the other helicopter came up and we were thinking well now we want to transfer data to them and then we had civilian boats and a military warship that was on its way up on this nine hour search. And it was so funny because now we had a civilian boat that wanted to transfer data to a military boat and we're pretty sure that they came alongside and they used Bluetooth, uh, a mobile device and a picture to transfer that data. So, so commonality is very important, uh, but also like you said, the, the, the mission type. Just to finish, I think that what Michael said before about uh, cybersecurity is a huge chapter within all of this. So data security is, uh, will probably need to, could it be a good idea for a next panel in Amsterdam next year. Jim McKenna with uh, Rotor and Wing International. <coughs> so last question, so I'll ask you. Um, Heli Offshore is pushing on uh, greater use of data uh, as one of their work streams, uh, does that have the potential to lay the foundation for standardization of data sets for the industry? And uh, the fixed wing world, the commercial airlines are decades ahead of the helicopter industry in the use of data for improved reliability and maintenance and safety. Um, are we learning the lessons of their experience or are we reinventing the wheel? I think with, if I know Gretchen at Helicopter Offshore, and I, or Heli Offshore, and I think I do, she will beat us into it. Uh, yes. and, I, and I think it's a good, a good goal to have. And we go to, All the OEMs go to those meetings and we all have representatives of those meetings. So I'm sure that's the eventual goal and I, and I hope it comes down to that. As far as the regulators, um, and the fixed wing, the fixed wing folks are miles ahead of us. But unfortunately, I think some of the same regulators that regulate the fixed wing don't get involved with the helicopters. So they need to learn internally what they're doing and learn their own lessons, and then we'll, we'll all work together. Um, yeah, I concur with the, the first point. I, I think we, we are all sitting together as OEMs within the LA Offshore, so we have a regular dialogue, and that this could bring to some standardization. On the fixed wing, I agree with you, there are miles ahead, but if I may say, coming myself from the fixed wing, fixed wing aircraft, I mean commercial aircraft, have much simpler missions because it's flying from A to B, and all airports look alike. Uh, helicopter missions are all different from each other every time because of the very nature of why you're using a helicopter. So uh, I think that the market is smaller I mean, let's remember that the, the civilian market is about, I mean, just for the OEMs, it's about six billion, six, seven billion dollars a year, which is a fraction of what happens in the, in the, uh, in the fixed wing aviation. So it's smaller, so there is intrinsically less money, there is a lot of tension on profitability, and it is more complicated. Much more complicated. It's more complicated to my to make good helicopters believe, and, and there's a lot of sophistication. And also in handling data, it's more complicated. It depends on the mission. So uh, the fragmentation of the mission capability of helicopters comes also into translates also into fragmentation on how data can be used for the benefit of the specific missions. I believe. So it's a challenge, but uh, I think we can do something intelligent. Okay. Um, first of all, thank you very much to the panelists for a, a very out, a very outstanding uh, discussion and presentations on the connected helicopter. That was really great. I think we owe them a big round of applause for that. So, real quick in closing, uh, some of you may still have some questions. I'm sure they'll stick around for a few minutes afterwards if you want to come up and, uh, and uh, ask a couple questions or two. So I want to also thank you for coming and the good interaction. This was a good panel. So thank you very much indeed.